Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. We're in Psalm 107 this week, Psalm 107. Now last week's message, Psalm 92, the message was called, I Celebrate You. That was really the, the linchpin of the whole series. That's the pivotal message. So if you missed it last week, let me encourage you to catch up on that one. Uh, if you missed it, you can catch it on YouTube. Uh, just go to YouTube, type in in the search field, Eric Chaffin or Pastor Chaffin, or go to our Facebook page. You'll find it there or my personal Facebook page. But uh, I think it's particularly apropos to Beach Street in this particular era of our church history. So be sure and give that a listen. Let me ask you this as you're turning to Psalm 107. When entertainers receive an award, like an Oscar, a Grammy, or a CMA award, how do they usually respond? That's a loaded question, because if you're an Oscar winner, you're probably going to lecture people about climate change, or about saving the spotted owls, or pay equality. Or if you're Will Smith, you just slap the host. Any normal people, however, would thank their supporters, right? Uh, they might mention people who encourage them along the way and help them make their achievement possible. Uh, some might even declare their gratitude to the public, to their fans, for actually paying to see and to hear them perform. So, likewise, when someone does something significant for you, what are some ways that you respond? Well, you might send a thank you card. You might pick up the phone and call them just to voice your appreciation. Um, maybe you return the favor by inviting them to your home. Well, the Cape Town paper, the Cape Times, ran a story about a South African man who surprised nine men who were robbing his home. Eight of the robbers got away, but the homeowner managed to shove one of them into his backyard pool. And after realizing that the robber could not swim, the homeowner jumped in to save him. Then once out of the pool, the man yelled for his friends to come back. He pulls a knife and threatens the guy who had just rescued him. So the homeowner threw him back into the water. <laughs> now, you'd think a guy whose life had just been saved would show a little bit of gratitude. And that's really at the heart of our message today. Psalm 107 is, uh, is classified as a psalm of praise and community worship. The context of this, the psalm is not quite so clear, though. Um, the different groups of people who are actually mentioned in Psalm 107, uh, some have viewed them as peoples who've been scattered from the land into exile, but then have been restored back to their homeland. It could just be that the psalm was simply meant to reflect on God's unchanging character and his saving actions at different times and different places in history. Whatever the case, the message is simple enough. The Lord has delivered many people from desperate circumstances, and such deeds actually call us to consider his love. And so the big idea behind the message today is this, that through many dangers, toils, and snares, trust God to rescue you and thank Him for His unfailing love. 
All right, so three observations about our text in Psalm 107 today. The first one is this. We actually see the reminder of giving thanks. The reminder of giving thanks. Look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. And so these first three verses really serve as a, a call to gratitude, a call to worshipers to give thanks to God. Now, let me uh, just give you a little grammatical tidbit, and I'll be brief. I mean, if I see your eyes start to glaze over, I know I've gone too long. But the command to give thanks, actually in the original Hebrew, it's in the second person, person plural uh, imperative form of the verb. What does all that mean? Well, basically this. Second person means you, okay? I, we, that's first person. They, that's third person. You is second person. Well, it's second person plural. So, you all. So he's saying, you all give thanks, or if you want to use good architect's grammar, all y'all give thanks. But it's actually in the imperative mood, which means it's not a suggestion, it's a command. So all y'all give thanks because it's the right thing to do. But why? I mean, what specific reasons did the psalm writer list in these verses to inspire the Israelites to offer their thanks to God? Well, in these first few verses, we see three very clearly. First of all, we thank Him for His goodness. Verse 1 says, for He is good. Now, good in, in the English usage of the word, you know, it's kind of vague, kind of broad. I mean, we describe a lot of things as being good. You know, how was your day, honey? Oh, it was good. Or you can pat your dog on the head and say, oh, who's a good boy? Or uh, this Brahms ice cream is so good. If only, Texarkana, if only. Um, or the Dallas Cowboys are a good team. Okay, that might not be a factual statement, but you could say that, you know. Well, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 19. He said, no one is good except God alone. So what does that mean? What does it mean that God is good? Well, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The Apostle John says that God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. So to say that God is good means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and true and good. Goodness is in God's nature. And he can't contradict his nature. Also, holiness and righteousness are in his nature. And so God can't do anything that's unholy or unrighteous. He is the standard of all that's good. And the fact that God is good means that there's no evil in him. His intentions and motivations are always good. He always does what is right. And the outcome of his plan is always good. And the Bible teaches us that God's goodness extends from His own nature really to, to everything that He does. And so, we thank Him for His goodness. But we also thank Him for His faithfulness. His faithful love endures forever, the psalmist says in verse 1. So we give thanks to God because He is good. How do we know He's good? Because his faithful love endures forever. Now that, that Hebrew term for love, it's one that came up in last week's message. The term is chesed. 
Okay? It basically means this. It's, a, it's referring to God's love for his people, but also the, the corresponding loyalty to the covenant that God made with his people. And here's the interesting thing about that. That same faithful love, that, that covenant loyalty, well, that's actually loyalty toward, towards Christians because we are actually part of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Well, the psalmist emphasized that God's chesed, his faithful love, endures forever, which means that at no time will a believer ever find him or herself separated from God's faithful love. In fact, uh, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, God's chesed, his, his faithful love, is one of the many gifts that we can thank him for. We thank him for his goodness, we thank him for his faithfulness, and we thank him for his redemption. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim. Psalmist is telling his, his, uh, his, uh, his fellow Israelites, hey y'all, he's redeemed you, he set you free from your foes, he's brought you back into safety. Now who are the foes that he's talking about in this passage? Well, that's a good question. For Israel, it could be the people of the lands that he's describing there in verse 3. The nations surrounding Israel, foreign lands located to the east, south, north, and west, possibly those foes. Uh, possibly past peoples actually within Canaan who initially resisted when the Israelites came to take possession of the land. Now, let's take that thought and let's kind of, um, let's internalize it a bit. Now, how does that thought apply to me, particularly? As a Christian, who are my foes? Well, our foes can basically, basically be lumped into three different categories. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When I say the world, usually that means the world's philosophies, its ideologies, uh, its mindset, things that are contrary to the truth of God. It could also mean, you know, people of the world who resist God. And so there's the world. Uh, there's Satan, a very real and sinister foe that we deal with. Sometimes our own worst enemy, the, the biggest foe of all, is ourselves, our own fleshly desires. Now, in this context, the foe could refer to either a human enemy or maybe just a, a distressful situation. Psalmist might have been intentionally vague for his statement to be applicable to all acts of God's redemption. Now, either way, What's happening here is that the Lord delivers people from their distress by redeeming them. That word redeem comes from the Hebrew term ga'al. It means to ransom, to, to buy back. Most specifically, it means to, to reclaim as one's legal possession. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a past action that has current and ongoing effect. But... In response to God's goodness, his faithfulness, his redemption, what is the psalmist prescribed expression of our gratitude? It's worship. That's what this whole series has been about, worship. In fact, in, in week one of this series, we defined worship as recognizing God for who he is 
and responding with an appropriate demonstration of awe, joy, celebration, or thankfulness. And so worship is the logical outlet for our expression of gratitude. Because God's people are the beneficiaries of God's redeeming love, it's only right that we respond in worship. It's only right that we speak up on his behalf. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim it. And if God's many acts of deliverance throughout Israel's history deserve praise and thanksgiving and proclamation, then how much more does his redemption of believers today through faith in Jesus Christ deserve our worship? See, folks, regardless of our circumstances, God is always good. He is always faithful. He is always deserving of our thanksgiving. Now, we enjoy a multitude of acts of divine kindness as we live under God's benevolent rule, under his, his faithful, watchful eye. I mean, more blessings than we probably even realize, I'd bet. But when God does something wonderful for us, here's an idea, thank him. Or, or here's another idea, tell somebody about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. All right, so, so far in our text, we've actually seen uh, a reminder for giving thanks. But here's the second thing I want you to notice from Psalm 107. The next thing he shows us, the reasons for giving thanks. The reasons for giving thanks, at least some reasons. This is not a comprehensive list, but reasons for giving thanks. Look at verse 4. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. So, in short, these verses are giving us yet another reason to give God thanks. The fact that he meets needs. Now Psalm 107 provides four different examples of groups of people who were in distress. Peoples who had been delivered by God's goodness. In verses 4 through 9 we see wilderness wanderers. In verses 10 through 16 we see prisoners. Verses 17 through 22 we see the sick and sailors in a storm beginning in verse 23. Now, our text today actually focuses on these wilderness wanderers that we read about in verses 4 through 9. And when you see terms like uh, wandered and, and desolate and, and finding no way there in verse 4, it really paints a portrait for us of a group in great distress. I mean, so much so that they have no clue how to escape their predicament. Verse 5 says that... Uh, they were hungry and thirsty, and because of that, their spirits failed within them. That literally means their souls fainted in them, in the Hebrew. They were so crushed by their desperate plight that they'd just about given up all hope. But then an interesting thing happens in uh, Psalm 107. Verses 6 and 8 actually introduce us to an interesting feature of this psalm. There's a refrain. 
It's actually repeated four times throughout the psalm. The first part says this. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. So we see that in verse 6. Then part 2 of each refrain is found two verses later. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wondrous works for all humanity. That's in verse 8. Now, as we... Think about reasons to give God thanks. Consider what this initial verse says. You know, each of these distressed people groups that's mentioned here in Psalm 107, the wilderness wanderers, the prisoners, the sick, the sailors in a storm, each one of them cried out to God in their own unique variety of, of trouble. And you know what? They were right to do so because God's always ready to help us when we humble ourselves and come to Him when we find ourselves in dire straits. And just like those four groups that were mentioned in Psalm 107, you know, we can and, and really should cry out to the Lord in our times of trouble. And the stress-inducing circumstances were really different for each one of these four groups. But by listing each one of them, what the psalmist is doing here is he's, he's showing us that God hears our cries. I mean, no matter what our problems are, God hears our cries. In each one of these four cases in Psalm 107, the Lord graciously rescued them from their distress. That Hebrew word for rescued, it means to, to snatch away, to deliver, to, to save. Uh, in, in other words, God delivers someone by snatching them out of harm's way. But how should these four groups respond to God's deliverance? Well, you see, the second part of that couplet, the second verse in that refrain says this, let them give thanks to the Lord. We see that in verse 8. Why? For His faithful love and His wondrous works. Now, we've already touched on faithful love in, I think, every message in this series. So, we're going to set that aside for a moment, and we're going to zero in on His wonderful works. That phrase in the Hebrew is actually derived from a word meaning to be difficult. And so, the idea here is that situations that overwhelm us, you know, and it could be different for any one of us. I mean, it could be a relationship or a marriage that ends badly or a personal attack on our character or financial struggle, whatever it is. Those situations that overwhelm us seem in, in our eyes to be too difficult to overcome. But the point is, they're inconsequential compared to God's power. So according to the psalmist, God steps into our distress and He overcomes our problems by demonstrating more power than that stressful situation that's just crushing us. He snatches us out of harm's way. He causes us to rest and find comfort in Him. And then we're free to do exactly what the psalmist is telling us to do in Psalm 107, to give thanksgiving to the Lord. God, thank you for your provision. Lord, thank you for protecting me from harm. Jesus, thank you for rescuing me from my slavery to sin. See, church, God is a guide for those who lose their way. 
And according to the psalmist, he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. And so he can take us from despair to delight, from near death to abundant life, from faltering to faith. All reasons to truly give him thanks. So when is it easy to recall God's goodness? Well, it's, it's always easy right after he answers a prayer. Or he's rescued us from some problematic situation. Or maybe when we're enjoying the good times or when our life is just really filled with a lot of good things to enjoy. That's easy. But when is it hard to recall God's goodness? Maybe when there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of goodness evident in this evil, sin-sick world that we live in. Maybe when things are going badly during illness or loss or discouragement. Or maybe just during times when we've really taken all those things that are good for granted. A church, we might not ever find ourselves literally wandering in a wilderness. But most every one of us in our life, if you haven't already, just get ready, will find yourself in a spiritual wilderness. Maybe it's the loss of a spouse. Maybe it's an unexpected move to another city. It's a, a miscarriage, a chronic illness, uh, a loss of job, a radical change in career, unresolved family strife. And any one of those things could really bring us to a crisis of faith. But you see, when it comes to our wilderness wanderings in life, there's one and only one who, as verse 9 says, can satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with good things. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus identifies himself as that person when he says, I am the bread of life, and no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Church, when you don't have a paycheck can't pay your utilities, don't even know how you're going to put food on your children's plates, how do you thank God? How do you praise Him in the storm? Well, it begins, as we've talked in, in messages past, about acknowledging God for who He is. And I think it also begins with acknowledging His his character, his qualities, his, his attributes, some of the things that make him uniquely God. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He's infinite, eternal, sovereign, holy. We praise him and thank him for those things. We praise him for his mercy, for his authority, for his faithful love. We thank him for his precious promises, promises that are never broken. And then here's what you do. You tell him, God, I'm trusting you. Maybe I don't feel like it, but God, I choose to trust you. Today, I am making the choice to trust in you. I'm trusting you to keep those promises, God. I'm trusting in your sufficiency, trusting you for my daily needs. And then here's what we do. We thank him for salvation in Jesus Christ. As I said in last week's message, even if God never did another thing for us for the rest of our lives, 
we could still thank him for salvation in Jesus Christ. That salvation is the ultimate expression of God's goodness towards us. Brennan Manon, who is the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, he wrote this. He said, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, or Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of the love that the Father has through Jesus, that person is spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life. And the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful and that makes us joyful. Folks, we can always thank God for Jesus. And let's be honest, most of us can thank him for a lot more. We can thank him for life and for health, for our families, for giving us purpose for entrusting us with his ministry, for enriching our lives with supportive friends. And the scripture says, we can also thank him for the many good things that he's doing in the lives of others. Look at verse eight. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Now, I think the more that we pause to, to ponder that, the more reasons we discover for giving him thanks. We can't help but worship the one who is, is so amazing and has done so many wonderful things for us. So, so far in the text, the psalmist has shown us a reminder for giving thanks. He's shown us reasons for giving thanks. Here's the third thing I want you to notice from our text, the response of giving thanks. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, He turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns the desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there, and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. And then skip down to the end of the psalm, verse 43. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. So how do we respond? Or rather, how does God respond to, to our thankfulness? or in some cases, lack of thankfulness. Well, in the closing section of this psalm, the writer affirms that God both disciplines the disobedient, but that he also restores the upright. So let's take a minute to look at the, at the, the ones that God disciplines. He disciplines the disobedient. Notice how the disciplines of God are described here. Verse 33, it says, he turned the rivers into desert. He changed flowing springs into thirsty ground. Verse 34 says, he made fruitful land into salt waste. Now, before somebody that's reading this, you know, makes the mistake of labeling God as some sort of cosmic killjoy who punishes people just to get his jollies, we need to remember a couple things about God, okay? First, God is sovereign. 
I mean, he, he, that means he rules. He rules over the earth. And because of that, all people are subject to him. He alone made them. He alone judges them. Second, because God is holy and just, his judgments are always just. And so no one is ever unfairly disciplined, nor are people restored when they haven't turned to the Lord in faith and repentance. So... The way we understand verse 33 is really in light of the verse that follows. Because God is sovereign, he can and he does turn rivers into desert and springs of water into thirsty ground. And yes, that may seem harsh. Why would God do that? Well, the answer is in verse 34. Because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He reverses fortunes as a matter of divine discipline, as an appropriate response to evil. And the wicked have no way to blame but themselves. And so God disciplines the disobedient. But notice this, God rewards the righteous. God stands ready to deliver, to restore people, no matter what the situation. So ask yourself, what wonderful deeds did the Lord do here for Israel? We see it in verse uh, 35. He turned the desert into pools of water, dry land to springs. Verse 36, he supplied food for the hungry, supplied a safe place to live. Verse 37, he gave a fruitful harvest. Verse 38, he blessed their labor and their farming. You see, that restoration of the righteous, that's exactly the opposite of God's discipline of the disobedient. And while God reversed the, the positive situations of evildoers, turning their situation into an intolerable plight, plight uh, he also reverses the negative situations of the righteous. And he chooses to bless every aspect of their lives. And that term for blesses, it, it's best understood as God enabling someone or something to come to full fruition. And you know what? It's all a demonstration of his goodness. In fact, the point of these verses is that the people's right living before God was rewarded with his blessing upon their efforts. And so verses 39 through 42 tell of God's disciplining the oppressors but rewarding the upright. But then verse 43 begins with these words, let whoever is wise... Literally in the Hebrew, it's, it's a question. Who is wise? And that query, who is wise, was really intended to emphasize that wise people are the ones who contemplate God's goodness toward the upright. But at the same time, also, his righteous indignation toward evildoers. And then a very strong admonition follows that statement. He says, pay attention to these things. What things? God's faithful love, his chesed. The psalmist ended with a challenge for worshipers to consider God's acts of faithful love. Church, that's what we need to be doing. Let's commit together to reflect on God's faithful love, to give him thanks. See, thanksgiving is the most appropriate response to, to, to who he is, to, to what he does, his works, his deliverance, his restoration. 
in both the good times and the bad times, we can and we should affirm God's goodness. All right, so how do we take all of this stuff that we've crammed into this message this morning, all this stuff from Psalm 107, how do we take this, how, we, how do we put it to work in our lives this week? How do we put feet to our faith in regard to this matter? Well, four simple observations, life points if you want to call them, that I want to share with you. The first one is the most obvious. Giving thanks to God is appropriate because... He has lavished his faithful love upon us. That's why. But what can we do in order to, to get back into recalling God's goodness? Well, that's life point number two. Make it a regular practice to thank God for all kinds of things. I mean, most of us, we've got dozens of reasons to worship God with thanksgiving and with praise. And we should do so gladly and frequently. Now, life point number three kind of dovetails into life point number two. If we're going to make it a regular practice, here's something you might do. Spend some time every day working on a list of everything that you can thank God for, everything you can think of that you should be thankful for. Call it a blessings list, whatever you want to call it. But every day, Make an observation about something God's doing in your life. Uh, for example, uh, maybe a, a church member took you to lunch this week. Okay? That happened to me. Uh, maybe one of your kids called with some wonderful news. That also happened to me. Um, maybe you made your very last mortgage payment. Did not happen to me. <laughs> But every day, just make a list of what God is doing in your life and express thanks for it. Let that drive your private time of worship and devotion every day. Now, here's the fourth one. And this is kind of a, a big picture observation. Take comfort in knowing that God does discipline the disobedient, but that he also restores the upright. Because when you can look at life that way, acknowledge his sovereignty, that he's in control. When you can see life from a God's eye view, that really frees you up to acknowledge many, many acts of goodness on his part. And I know it's not always easy. Friends, you know, when times are tough, how do we praise him in the storm? How is it possible to worship him in the midst of such trying and stressful circumstances? Well, first one, we remember God is sovereign. He, he's in control. We remember that God is sufficient. He's promised to take care of us. And we remember to tell God daily, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust in your power. I trust in your authority. I trust in your faithful love. Now, you know, a lot of you have been trusting in these things for a long, long time because long ago you began a personal relationship with God because of your faith in Jesus. But what about those people who have never chosen to follow Christ? never humbled yourself enough to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. What are you trusting in? 
money, career, family, friends. Those are all good things. But if that's all that you're placing your faith and trust in, I'm telling you, eventually you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be let down. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you, put your trust in Jesus. He alone can satisfy. He alone can save. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.